Hey, everybody. This is Jeff Shulman. And before we begin today's episode, I just want to acknowledge two companies who I am so grateful for investing in a more inclusive future. As you may know, one of the things I'm most proud about is partnering with Marty Burris to launch the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, a program that is empowering inclusion-minded professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role. And this started as a volunteer effort, and I'm so grateful that Starbucks was our first sponsor and T-Mobile is a platinum sponsor. Both of these companies are investing in this program that is not just broadening access to economic opportunity, but preparing the next generation of product managers from historically marginalized communities who care to build for everyone. So Starbucks and T-Mobile, these are two companies it's a pleasure to work with who are investing not only their money, but their employees are investing their time and pouring it into a program that is building a family and preparing the next generation of product managers. So shout out to T-Mobile, shout out to Starbucks, and now enjoy today's episode. Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Shulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Shulman, and I am a professor here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, where we've founded the Product Management Center. The Product Management Center is a center of excellence for product management, bridging together some of the amazing alumni and product managers we have access to, and some amazing faculty who are pushing the discipline forward through their research and through their teaching. Before we have today's exciting conversation about how ChatGPT can change how product managers work, I just want to give a plug that to all of you, I hope that you will consider volunteering with the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. Washington, or if you're an aspiring product manager, we do have the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator with applications coming up this summer, where it's a free program empowering professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first PM role. But last plug I've got to give before we turn it over to our amazing guests on this incredible topic is we are recording the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast right now, and I hope that all of you will take just two seconds to find your favorite podcasting app and search for How to Succeed in Product Management, and please download and subscribe this podcast because we are here every single week talking about what it takes to succeed in product management. Speaking of what it takes, Lewis Lin is our first guest today. He came up with this topic, and Lewis Lin has been helping people get into product management through his amazing books, and so he's got his own company as well. And Lewis, we are so excited to have you here. I want to turn the spotlight on you for one second and ask you, why did you pick this topic? Why is this important to the listeners here today? What can I say? ChatGPT has been absolute game changer. I've told colleagues, I've told friends that I personally believe ChatGPT to be one of the biggest technology revolutions of my lifetime. And I've been through the internet, the smartphones, and then you know, I was kind of born shortly after the PC. And I'm just impressed. I've got to admit, I was on vacation not too long ago out in Hawaii. And what can I say? I miss my friend ChatGPT. I couldn't wait for vacation to end so that I can come back and tap into ChatGPT's knowledge. And I'm a little sentimental. ChatGPT is a little bit like my friend as well, because gosh, anytime I want to ask it questions, it's there for me. So I love ChatGPT. <laughs> 
All right. So Lewis Lynn has a, a bromance with ChatGPT. We're going to find out from Lewis and Dante and Sumea whether ChatGPT is going to put PM jobs at risk and what product managers can do with ChatGPT. We're going to talk about frameworks and specific tasks that ChatGPT could actually help you instead of take over your job. And of course, we're going to have some audience questions about halfway through. And if time, Red, our co-host here, we're going to play some buzzword blitz where we're going to ask Dante, Sumea, and Lewis three buzzwords, and they're going to have to try to see who's the first one to give some reasonable advice about ChatGPT based off of those buzzwords. So we're going to have a little fun. We're going to entertain you, uh, but more importantly, we're going to educate you on some of the best practices and, and what to expect with ChatGPT. Well, with that in mind, I want to introduce Dante Delgado, who is a star product manager, but more importantly to me at least, is that he's a star human being. He's been mentoring in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator at the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington, one of the best mentors we've had. And he then has joined the steering committee so he's helping us shape the future of how do we prepare aspiring product managers from historically marginalized communities to land uh, their first product management role. So Dante, appreciate all the work you've done. And I'm going to turn to you with this question that Lewis kind of told us about before that's on everybody's mind. Are product management jobs at risk? What do you think and why? Hey, thanks, Jeff. You're too kind. I appreciate being here today. I'm going to give you a short answer. Short answer is I would say no. The way I think advances of technology work are all jobs aren't necessarily assimilated because of it, but those who are taking advantage of it and take advantage of it sooner than later are the ones who will put themselves in better positions to be the product managers of the future. Because the product manager role and the product managers of the future are going to look quite a bit different when you have such a productivity tool that makes your job much more efficient. So you can focus on other things that are the core parts of your job as a product manager. Sumeya, so I guess an intro because a lot of people are new to our show today. Sumeya is a product executive. VMware is our co-host slash Wikipedia. We could ask uh, Sumeya any question, and she always has some brilliant advice for product managers at a moment's notice. So grateful to have you here every week and grateful to have you in this conversation. What do you think? Is ChatGPT a threat to product managers or a friend? I definitely sit on the side of the friend part of this equation. I definitely believe that ChatGPT is opening different modalities, different options, different ways of thinking, and freeing up the product manager to think about other things. I think in the product management world, we've seen that as the product grows, uh, you bring on other people to help you whether it's project managers, designers, researchers, product management operators. So if those are the ways we have expanded our capacity in the past and scaled up, then ChatGPT is going to be just another part of that option of tools and scaling that you can use or that we can use as PMs. And I think it's going to free us up to do the more fun stuff. The art part that can't really be replicated with a machine. All right. So we're going to take audience questions in about 20 minutes or so. Sit tight. But we took some questions in advance from Lewis Lynn's community. And one of the questions was, what kind of product management tasks do you already do with ChatGPT? So I know Lewis has some, and then I'm going to give space if Dante and Sumay are already using it. Otherwise, we'll start to more philosophical things. But just right off the bat, what are some things you're already doing with ChatGPT in its current form? Lewis. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. 
when I think about this, some of the things that I'm doing, it really comes down to four different pillars. Pillar number one is research tests. Pillar number two is writing tests. Pillar number three is inspiration or brainstorming. And then the uh, fourth pillar is around evaluation. So let me just quickly go through some examples of each one of those pillars. When it comes to research, phenomenal tool for doing competitive research, product research. But one of my favorite things to do with ChatGPT is actually user research. And so we know how important user research is for PMs. But man, when we think about the traditional ways of doing it, you've got to find you know, relevant audiences and then you have to recruit them and then you have to set up focus groups and fly into different cities around the world, like New York and Paris and London. And I don't have to do that anymore. All I have to do is just ask ChatGPT and say, hey, I want you to act as a very, very, very specific persona. And I want you to be an expert in that persona. I'm going to ask you a series of questions about my product, my opportunity, my challenges based off of that persona. And that's the beauty of ChatGPT. It's got the entire internet's worth of knowledge and it can be a hospital administrator. It could be a independent musician, for example. The second er uh, pillar is around writing tasks. And I'm sure a lot of you have experimented using ChatGPT to write emails, to write blog posts. And uh, sure, you can do that, but man, you could use it for even more advanced stuff. And so I was talking to a colleague, they're using ChatGPT to respond to RFPs if you're in a bid for a very lucrative multi-million dollar contract, or hey, if your company's mandates that you must fill out your JIRA cards with a certain template, you could use ChatGPT to help you up and fill out some of those template forms. Inspiration, gosh, I love product innovation to death, but as much as I love it, brainstorming is a pain in the butt. And that's one of the beauties about ChatGPT. If you believe in the saying, ideas are a dime a dozen, well, gosh, <laughs> ChatGPT can generate dimes by the boatload. I can give ChatGPT a scenario and I can say, hey, I want you to brainstorm seven ideas, 10 ideas. It can brainstorm 10 and I can say, hey, you know what? We've got time. Why don't you brainstorm like 50 more? Kind of hard for a human being to brainstorm 50 ideas in a matter of minutes like ChatGPT can. And then the last pillar is one of my favorites, which is evaluation. And I normally like to evaluate you know, ideas, opportunities, proposals, opinions, but I think it's even more important given that ChatGPT, we've all heard, can potentially hallucinate. And so one of the things that I would do is I would ask ChatGPT to evaluate its own ideas. And so, hey, out of the 10 ideas that you suggested, here's a list of criteria. Criteria number one, criteria number two, criteria number three. I want you to rate it from a scale of one to 10. Can you tell me how you would rate each one of these 50 ideas? Hard for a human to do, but boy, ChatGPT could do it willingly. It'll just take a little bit of time. And so those are kind of the four areas, research, writing, inspo, and, and evaluation. All right. I want to give Sumeya and Dante a chance, but first I'd like to debate or discuss some of the things that happen in real time. So we have somebody, Constantine, I'll only give the first name, posted a comment on the event page on LinkedIn and said, completely disagree with the user research part. ChatGPT isn't a real persona and can never know 100% what users experience firsthand. So I first want to hear from Dante and Sumeya what you think of Constantine's remark or Lewis's, and then I want to give Lewis a chance to articulate where he's coming from. Dante or Sumeya? Dante. Yeah, I think to Constantine's point, 
I think if you think of ChatGPT as an aggregator of information across a lot of different areas of, you know, bodies of information. So in this case, if you're asking it to, in the case of user research, right, you're asking it to respond as a certain persona. Well, think of the inputs that chat GPT brings to the table. And so there is a, I think a foundational sense of user research that is there just by the aggregation of a ton of information and a ton of data. Now, of course, the erroneous parts that we are all aware of, I think it comes from how you vet the answers that it gives you. And I think Lewis gave a really good example of that where you're asking it to explain its thinking, which means it's breaking down the way in which it processes the inputs it's given and why it came to the conclusion. And it's all logical. As a product manager, I think it's very closely related, especially for product managers, to how we navigate user research in general. We approach it from this systematic way that says, all right, I'm attempting to get to a particular understanding. And so I'm going to propose questions and I'm going to propose follow-up questions in order to dig deeper on the why behind the information, the, the surface information that it's giving. And I think ChatGPT very much relates to that and that aspect and user research is a big part of that. Yeah, and I would add that, you know, one of the practices we do when we start in the early days of user research sometimes is the development of proto-personas. I would advocate for using ChatGPT to give you some of those starting points, especially if you're starting with something you don't have a lot of ideas around, but it's only a proto-persona and it has exactly the same limits as you would have with a proto-persona, which is a bunch of assumptions that you as a PM or the designers have come up with. That's one. And two, I think there are some, especially when I'm thinking about the enterprise world, and you're thinking about, for example, a persona of someone who's working in a very specific area, let's say a nurse practitioner in an endocrinology practice. How much data is out there in the public sphere that was fed into train the chat GPT model? Probably not a lot. And you can extrapolate on that. There are other, especially when we think about inclusion and diversity, there are other voices that have not been represented well in that corpus, basically, of the online data that's available to us. So think about some of those limitations, but I do advocate for it to be treated as a proto-persona to start. And can I also throw in that, because this is a way in which I've used ChatGPT is, is prompting my own thinking, right? I think brainstorming is something Lewis brought up, something Sumeya was just speaking of, is there is a the ability for it to prompt thoughts and brainstorm ideas so that it gets you down the path to information that you're looking for. And a lot of that has to do with the way that you set up the prompts that you're using in, in chat GPT and the information you're feeding it. But a lot of times I'll use it just to get started in a direction to have my thinking in the right direction by having essentially a conversation to surface information that I may not be in the sphere of if I just Googled it or what's already in my head. Dante, you bring up a really important point, and hopefully we'll get to talk about it a little bit. But I think there is already this thought leadership out there around the prompt engineer and whether prompt engineering is a new skill that all of us who want to be the best at our craft need to also master. So I'll be excited to talk about that in a bit, Jeff, if you're uh, able to have time for that. 
That's actually one of the questions that Lewis, his community, gave us before. So we're going to get to that in just two seconds. I want to give Dante a chance to talk a little bit more about any other ways that you've been using ChatGPT. And then Sumaya, briefly, if you have other ways to add to it. And then we'll get to that question about how do you prompt it effectively. Yeah, I'm going to throw a little secret out there. So I, as we mentor people in the IPMA program, a lot of people that I've talked to even outside of that, and they're looking to transition into product management, sometimes it's very hard to get an idea of where you start from because your skill set does not seem to, on the surface, relate very clear to where you're trying to transition into. And sometimes I will use ChatGPT to surface information about a particular field. Like, for example, if a data scientist and perform a lot of, that's my main role, sometimes I will use it to surface more information about data scientists and then feed chat GPT prompts from a product management standpoint that allows it to relate to tasks that happen inside of a data scientist role. So for example, generating a dashboard and doing research on building or allocating data. So if I feed a prompt to chat GPT, I'm basically it doing my research for me And then I utilize that information to say, hey, now if I am looking at a product and I'm looking to build a product using the information that I just gathered from ChatGPT, and then I start to begin to surface, you know, product management focused views and information that's relating to a data scientist. And so again, it's, it's a way to get me thinking about the relation between two unrelated areas, but it's a conversation that I'm attempting to have with chat GPT to surface that right information so that I have a, a place of reference for something that I may be unfamiliar with. Samaya? Yeah, I think in similar lines, when I'm thinking about the possibilities of uh, different approaches to a problem that we're trying to solve for. So once I have actually a hypothesis around the problem, which I think Dante provided some good examples of how he would approach that, I would provide, for example, a couple of possible solutions to chat GPT. And then I would ask what other solutions are available to me or what other solutions can you create or have you created? And, you know, look at some of the responses. I have to say, because of, you know, the need to create really good prompts here, some of the ways, you know, I can get really quality responses back have to do with the kind of guardrails I give the system. That's one. And two, in identifying parallel industries. So for example, I recently was working on a on a medical project, I couldn't find a lot of suggestions. The, the, the answers I was getting were not so great. So the prompts I gave then, I changed them to financial services, which is also a highly regulated industry with some of the same constraints. And there I found a lot more interesting ideas and things I didn't think about or that even the team hasn't thought about. So, you know, those are the areas that excite me a lot because usually this kind of brainstorming, you would have to bring a lot of people around the table to think outside the box and, you know, strategists who have done the math and done a lot of research. But this kind of feedback from ChatGPT makes it really fast and helpful. All right. So we've heard from each of you about what you're using ChatGPT for and a little bit about how you're using it. 
Now let's dive into this a little more deeply about how do you figure out the right prompts to use and what are your favorite frameworks? So what some frameworks do you use to address that question? Lewis, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you figure out the right prompts to use? I know a lot of you are using ChatGPT and you're like, like, is there like a recipe book of prompts? Like you would be baking a cake, for example. And I'm completely with you. Uh, ChatGPT doesn't come with a manual. It just has that box and you're supposed to type stuff in it. And you're like, what do I type? And um, just building on top of what Sumeya and Dante have said, you know, good prompts come with starting off with being a good conversationalist. Like number one, you have to empathize with who you're talking to. And in this case, it's ChatGPT. And you need to understand, you know, what areas do they know a lot of information about? And Sumeya's uh, point is around like, hey, they know a lot more about financial services and healthcare. And so, you know, how do I be a good conversationalist and use areas of knowledge that it knows? And then finally, asking the right questions. And when it comes to asking the right questions, it's an amazing skill to have. But I'll I'll share with you my cheat. How do I figure out the right questions slash prompts to ask ChatGPT? I rely on frameworks a lot. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with my books, I've authored quite a few uh, frameworks. And so, you know, starting off from the top, I've got to mention circles. If I am working on a product innovation project, the questions and prompts that I'll ask ChatGPT will be circles. Just starting off the top and say, hey, ChatGPT, here's the business problem. What goals should I consider? What constraints should I think about? What metrics should I use to calculate whether or not we're meeting those goals? And then just, you know, everything from there in the circles method really just flows from product management. What are the pain points for this particular persona? Which persona should I consider? How should I prioritize? What criteria should I think about? And so circles is absolutely one of my go-to frameworks. Other frameworks that I've authored that I use as go-tos, pedals, if I'm uh, struggling with a technical problem, especially around system architecture. And these days I spend a lot of my time with my software startup, Manage Better, and we're solving problems around talent evaluation and assessment. And so I use the esteem framework. Just to talk about some other frameworks that I would use as I'm thinking about what kind of questions, what kind of prompts to enter into ChatGPT, a few frameworks that are not mine, I would absolutely use the five W's and the H. So who, what, when, where, why, how, I would absolutely ask ChatGPT. If it's a strategy question, I would absolutely ask it to evaluate things based off of Porter's five forces or the three C's. And if those frameworks are a little too crunchy for all of you, there's just some basic ones that you can ask that I use ChatGPT all the time. And I would say, hey, of the solutions you've generated, what are the pros and cons? And so pros and cons are absolute favorite of mine. And, and then the last one that I love a lot is the rule of three. And so it's just a fancy way of saying like, okay, you know, you suggested something, give me three reasons why I should and three reasons why I shouldn't. And so those are some of my prompt hacks, if you will. That was a framework bomb dropped, man. <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring some enthusiasm. Sumeo, what do you I have? I have a lot of opinions for sure, and I love ChatGPT to death. No, that was great. <laughs> Sumeo, you're the queen of frameworks. What do you have for us? <laughs> 
I'm going to go a completely different route on this one. <laughs> you know, I think everybody here should go and play a little bit with ChatGPT. Be careful about feeding it information about your enterprise that it should not be fed to or it should, that should not be shared publicly because it will take that information. But other than that, just play around with it. And what you're going to find is there is this like almost magical length of questions you can ask somewhere a little less than, you know, 140 words and a little more than 10 maybe when you want really thoughtful answers with some specific considerations. And then you start getting more quality answers. There is a point where there are diminishing returns, you know, the longer the question is, the worse it gets. But there are also other tricks that we all know from just doing good search, like, for example, doing the minus. So if, if, you know, you're finding that the answer you're getting is focused on an area you weren't even intending for it, then take that out of the AI's consideration. So that's one. Two, I've started following and looking at what other people are doing. You know, a lot of people keep sharing their results online. And I think the model or the people working on, on chat GPT are improving it every day and trying to improve the user interactions. So some of the answers that I remember getting that were not so great last year have been improving. And I imagine it's because also we're all asking different questions and refining the model as we go. So other than saying, hey, just play with it and get down into that rabbit hole, and you're going to find a way that the model will understand you and you, you will understand it. You know, you can also use other framework that can be helpful to you. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just add one thing for those who are attempting to go on and, and have never used chat GPT and want to play around with like some prompts. There is a, a kind of a prompt generator app that I've heard good things about before. It's under Merv Noyan, M-E-R-V-E. N-O-Y-A-N. You can find it on like Hugging Face, but there is a prompt generator for, you can just put in any type of persona or occupation or industry, and it'll give you um, something to start with. So just wanted to add that in. All right. Thank you. So for those just joining us, you could catch the recording on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. We've already discussed what these brilliant people are using ChatGPT for and what are the best tips for the prompts. Now, we have, I have more questions for them, but I want to give you a chance to get your questions answered. And it's going to be a little tight with 430 people here. So Red, actually, I got to introduce you because a lot of people don't even know Red. Red is a founding advisory board member, and he prompted this podcast, and he is the uh, mid-session host who handles all the audience questions. And we have a joke that's been going on for far too long. But Red, are you Red E for your thing? Red? <laughs> Thank you, Samaya. Thank you, Dante. We just, we just had to. <laughs> I feel like I'm being teamed up against here. And, you know, Jeff, I love the flex here, you know, talking about how many listeners we have. But you're in marketing. You should have said a thousand, right? Because that's what you marketers do. You just, you know, raise, raise things up. Oh, man. Ooh. Come on. No, we tell yeah. the truth. That's what marketing is about. We have 400 people here right now live. <laughs> Thousands of people listen to the recording. So that part is true. That's right. Well, if you want to be one of those people that Jeff references on the podcast, as well as experiencing more shows like this today, please, please, please go to your favorite place for podcasting, that's Spotify or Apple, and download How to Succeed 
in product management. It is an incredible opportunity to support the University of Washington's goal and all of our goals as product managers to make the barrier to entry to being a product manager that much lower, not from a quality perspective, but for those who really weren't invited in the first place, sadly. It's a sad state in the world of the past, but for the world of UW and Jeff and all of us, I am so pumped to be part of that future. So with that in mind, and speaking of the future, Lewis, we've got a bunch of questions. Dante, we've got some fireballs headed your way, but I wanted to make sure you two were real and weren't chat GPTing me. So I went into chat GPT and I actually asked it, a very simple question. How do you feel about Lewis Lynn? Apparently, Lewis Lynn loves you. And I just have to say, Lewis, ChatGPT says they know about the times that you've been talking about it. They're very well aware in the product manager interview of your writings. And while they don't have feelings or emotions, they are programmed to have accurate information on you and glad that you know about their capabilities. So uh, I would say that's a very pragmatic response. Red, thanks for doing your homework on me. And I'm glad ChatGPT had nice things to say. Yes. Although nice is an emotional word, I would say by definition, it has the right things to say. So with that in mind, the first question coming from the audience is actually about your first time with ChatGPT. So Dante, this one's coming out to you. First, do you remember your first time with ChatGPT and what was it? Yeah, we had a nice dinner and a movie date. And uh, no, um, it was my very first prompt. No kidding. My very first prompt was about finding, so I'm a big basketball, I'm a big NBA basketball person. So I asked about a comparison between LeBron James and Michael Jordan and who was the greatest of all time. I'm partial to, to Michael Jordan, but that was my very first prompt. So now that's actually a perfect chance to figure out is chat GPT flawed. Did it say Michael Jordan is the best of all time? It didn't give me a straight answer. It definitely gave me a comparison between the two and it seemed to lean towards Michael Jordan because of his accolades. But so I'm, I'm all for it. That got me on board. I was sold at that point. Is this before or after you uh, pumped your API of Michael Jordan data into its system? Just want to make sure, you know, for accuracy. I think, was, I think it was after. I think it was after. Of course, of course. No yeah. bias here. Lewis, what about you? You have a love story, but every love story starts somewhere, you know. Please help us. Did, was this in a bar across the room? You gazed into the computer's eyes. Please enlighten us. Your first oh time. Oh my gosh, Red, it's going to be terrible. It's going to sound like I treated ChatGPT like a one night stand, but I completely do not remember my first time with ChatGPT. Mm. If I were to construct something, I think what happened was I kind of like what I do in a club. I'm like a wallflower, except in this scenario, I'm a wallflower on Twitter. I kind of see people talking about ChatGPT and I'm like, okay, that seems kind of cool what they're doing on the dance floor. One of these days, I'll have the courage to do that with ChatGPT. And then I believe maybe like four days later, I found the courage, I found the time, and I just copied some prompt that somebody did on the Twitterverse. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. <laughs> and so uh, that's me. I just copied other people on the dance floor. I think it's very good that you admitted that. And, and I say that because for all the people that are listening in right now, this is what you should be doing. Like, don't overthink it. Jump in. And if you see someone else doing something online, copy it if this is your first time at ChatGPT. There's no perfect way to start. Just start. So with that in mind, we do have a question and some <laughs> controversy. Jeff, Samaya, you know how much I love the controversy. But we're going to start with the question. It's actually uh, one in the chat. And then we have someone up, up on stage. So first is coming from Akmal. Hopefully I said your name correctly. 
ChatGPT has the rights to any data inputs and outputs that legally go to the owner of the tool. How do we reconcile this with the fact that PMs come up with a lot of IP that may be leaked as a result of them using ChatGPT? This might be slightly redundant to some of, Samaya, your earlier warnings about being careful about what you feed it. But for those who might be just listening in, it would be a great opportunity to reiterate what the answer to this question is. Yeah, I think um, if you're using the free version, you definitely should think really hard about what constraints you're giving in the questions, uh, because sometimes those constraints are actually what are the secret sauces. For example, you might be giving it data about certain usage patterns of your existing product, and you're saying, hey, give me ideas on how to improve that. Just be careful there. I think um, if you think precise data is not going to make a difference, don't then don't give it easily. If it is, then see if your company has a license to their own instance. But I think there are other also providers be- beyond OpenAI who might have access to more up-to-date data than what OpenAI does uh, or has because their model was trained, at least they say, their model was trained on data from before 2021. So yeah, I have not found another way to curtail or to monitor or police, just be a responsible corporate citizen, basically. Fantastic response. Uh, Louis or Dante, would you like to add anything on top of that? I would say as, as someone with the history in cybersecurity that email AI definitely think of, you know, garbage in, garbage out, which is always something concerning data, but like understand that the context in which you feed it is probably going to be or can be outright ignored altogether, meaning that you may have an intent in the information that you're feeding it, but it does not mean that that intent will get carried into a place where once that surfaces somewhere else later on, that someone is using the same technology in, especially the free version, as Samaya mentioned, will not carry that intent, could be misconstrued very easily. So just be be aware of that and don't do a, it until you feel more comfortable. That's very helpful to speak to the comfort of using it. But we have a follow-up question from, uh, and for those who are not new to this podcast and you've been listening, again, download How to Succeed in Product Management on your favorite, favorite podcast download tool today. Raul, that's right. Sumeya, Jeff, Raul's back with a power question, and it's uh, really perfect off of the previous one, which was, and yes, you all can say hi, Raul. <laughs> hi, <laughs> Raul. What up? <laughs> the question is really off of the coattails of the previous one around security. When is it time to tell your colleagues you're seeing ChatGPT? So I guess we're going off of that earlier theme of dating, but in reality, the truth is a lot of us are experimenting with this firsthand and feeding it questions, and it's learning from us. But at what point are you supposed to tell others (laughs) that you are benefiting from it on the job? I recently had this discussion with one of my colleagues, and I think my rule of thumb around this is chat GPT or the other plethora of its competitors out there, there are a few, are game-changing tools. Share them with that perspective with everyone on your team and basically share your learnings and be an advocate for the responsible use of those tools. And that's it. To me, it's a one and done. This is not, oh, I did the re- this research today from... Yeah, to chat- chime in here, in terms of like revealing chat GPT, you know, whether or not it, it helped you generate a piece, a blog post or requirement, 
here's my thinking. I, I think it's great right now that everyone's being super, super polite and saying, hey, this was generated by ChatGPT. But I, I'm hopeful that the day will be here soon that we don't have to cite ChatGPT, that we can just assume that probably people had assistance with ChatGPT. And the reason I think that way is because, you know, I'm an MBA. When I went through business school and I learned how to do calculations, nobody ever asked me if I did them by hand or whether I use a calculator or an Excel uh, spreadsheet. They just care if the calculations came out correctly. And so I hope eventually we get to that world because it's a powerful technology. And I, if we assume that everyone is using ChatGPT to generate, that means everybody's using it and I'd be a happy person. If you, God, the love for ChatGPT, I tell you, that is a fantastic thing to see, but also it's very much in line with what we're trying to help all of you explore today. So as opposed to me continuing to talk about how much we love ChatGPT, we invited a guest on stage. So while the comments are pouring in, the Slack channel is blowing up, if you're here live, there's an opportunity for you to get a question answered live. So Ted, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. You are human. So ask your human question and humans, not ChatGPT, will provide their answers about non-humans. Ted, the mic is yours. All you have to do is click mute. Hi. Yeah, actually, the last questions were kind of what I was uh, curious about, you know, on a professional level. You know, how can we, you know, communicate to our teams? And I, I've been asking it myself and my boss and uh, our company is a lot smaller, but... I understand the concerns, you know, companies, you know, how they feel about us using it, the tool. I guess, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I feel a lot of value, I see a lot of value in it, and some of my teammates certainly do, but definitely understand the concerns of, you know, why we can't really, you know, uh, I guess, use it. But I was trying to figure out, you know, what are some good ways of, like, communicating or making a good argument of why we should be using this tool, and if you guys think maybe in the future if this is definitely something maybe businesses will start to accept. Uh, I particularly, uh, as you kind of mentioned, you know, we, no one really asked for the citations of, you know, where we get our sources, but I try to ask ChatGPT, you know, okay, where did you, you know, uh, come across this information? Can you give me a source? And it may give me a source, and sometimes I may refer to that, but uh, um, from what I understand, you know, from folks and from bigger companies, and other countries probably they even they've been using AI for lots of other things so maybe it's just a time and a cultural thing and we'll start to use it but yeah oh, that's, that's helpful <laughs> the good news is if you want to figure out how to convey it to your colleagues you can always just ask ChatGPT hey ChatGPT how should I tell my uh -huh. colleagues about me using you but does anyone have any final feedback uh, Lewis I see you popped off yeah there. I'll jump in I think it's a great question and I'm there's pros and cons with being in corporate I'm no longer in corporate but I, I can understand the challenge of working at a large company, a Fortune 500 company, and you're like, what are the guardrails with ChatGPT? And you know, if there's any CEOs, CIOs who are listening up into this conversation, maybe even the, the chief of HR, I think it would really help unleash your employees if they could quickly define and say, hey, here are the guardrails. Like if you're working for Coca-Cola, please do not <laughs> do not post our secret recipe into ChatGPT. But to ask whether or not Coca-Cola is better than Pepsi, sure, you can ask that. And I think the sooner those standards get defined within each organization, the more liberated people will be internally to, to harness that energy. Because right now it's just kind of this shadow usage. We're like, hmm, I'm not sure if I'm okay 
doing this in ChatGPT. So let me grab my iPhone and <laughs> my personal iPhone and send in a request and just not tell anybody that I did that. And so I feel for you. Real quickly on the citations part, uh, definitely a challenge. And then my second favorite bromance is with BingBot. And Bing does a really good job of including their citations. Not always perfect. There was an instance the other day where it gave me some information and I clicked on the links and I couldn't find the exact citation. So it's still going kind of crazy, but BingBot is really, really great. And for those of you, I was talking to somebody the other day, they said, hey, they haven't signed up for ChatGPT because they require you to include your, your mobile phone number. And so if that privacy concern is of an issue, the good news about signing up for Bing Chat is it doesn't require your phone number. They have other requirements, but they don't have a phone number requirement. So it's something to think about. Just one more thought, because all of us PMs, we are very familiar with the language around experimentation. And so this is the time for us to all recognize that we're part of this chat GPT experiment. And what does that mean? I don't think we understand all the repercussions and the outcomes out of it. And so I think we need to approach it with that mindset, uh, try to get as much value out of it, but with the understanding, again, that this is an experiment that we are part of it too. <laughs> wow, that's not creepy at all. Big Brother's watching. Let's do this thing. Rock and roll, folks. No, but Sumeya, on a positive note, at the end of the day, and for those who've listened to past shows, we're all about what's best for the customer. And if what's best for the customer is for us to show up to a meeting prepared to answer a question about what we should be focusing on next, and ChatGPT is right, okay, it's right. It's not whether or not you prepared. It's you did whatever you needed to do with the time that you had to do what's best for the customer. So just always keep that in mind. It's just another tool to service the customer at the end of the day. It's not the tool. It's just another one. But you are the operator. You get the credit and you take the fall. So I'll leave it with that. We have another amazing guest on stage, Perul. I believe we've seen you on stage before and you've been quietly and patiently waiting to ask your question. Please, <laughs> the stage is yours. It's uh, less of a question and more of a uh, comment to something you had said earlier about love for ChatGPT. First of all, I couldn't resist joining as an audience member because of your cool hosts and speakers today, Lewison and Dante, my ex-colleague, so I had to jump in and say hi. But I wanted to say about introducing it to other people in the team. We were doing writing up mission statements and we were trying to make it really crisp and short and we were looking at two, three iterations and just for fun, I bumped it into chat GPT and it spat out some really good ideas and I just kind of tagged my uh, report to say, hey, try it out in chat GPT take a look if anything looks interesting. And they were like, oh yeah, this is cool. And I have another report who, whose first language is not English. And so she's always struggling to like find the right words. And I was like, let's take a sample paragraph and dump it in. Of course, this is like knowing that nothing is not public from what goes on. Uh, um, rather, nothing is safe from being inadvertently shared, but dump the paragraph in and it spat out a much more condensed view of that same thing. And she looked at it and she was like, wow, this is so much better than I would have written it. And so it's just small tools to help improve your day-to-day. -day. I've had some amazing personal things too. Like I've planned out meals for the week, generated shopping lists and figured out how to exclude stuff I don't like and made travel plans. So big fan. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. If you're, if you're on the panel right now, maybe what would be interesting as a tail into this is what's something incredibly cool that you've seen it do that more people should do? Like what just heard with the shopping list. But again, tangentially, Lewis, if you're going to weigh in on something else, please go ahead. 
I just want to say, Parul, thanks for the shout out. And so thank you for that. And then excited to have you on the show. And thanks for the question. Just kind of answering Red's question, the coolest thing. Gosh, I'm such a pragmatic person. That's why I write, write a bunch of how-to books. <laughs> but I have to admit, some of the coolest things that I've seen are actually things that I don't do with ChatGPT. All the super creative people who are playing like customized version of Dungeons and Dragons with ChatGPT, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Or when I see people uh, writing like rap lyrics or poems with ChatGPT, you know, for their five-year-old because they can't find a poem about unicorns, I think to myself, that is so cool. And so I have a lot of appreciation for some of the games and the, the fiction that's being created with ChatGPT, even though I normally don't do that in my day-to-day. I will say, uh, again, going back to basketball, and hi, Parole. Parole's my manager. She's she's amazing. Thank you for joining. Going back to basketball, I have seen swaths, like around the draft time, you get a lot of like, or around the trade deadline was one in particular, where I had people, seen people that feed different and alternative trades and like this, taking into account things like salary cap and, and draft picks and craft all of these intricate types of trades and scenarios, which for NBA aficionado like myself is quite amazing because it's a very difficult to understand part of the business. So, so Dante, quick question for you. When you're crushing your fantasy basketball league, do you credit chat GPT? <laughs> no, so I, I don't credit them. Just like, you know, I don't credit Excel for doing my calculations. Right. No, com- no comment. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Okay, folks, I appreciate the uh, back and forth banter. Uh, At this point in time, it is time for Buzzword Blitz. I don't have like a sound effects machine, Jeff, so I need you to like help out with sound effects, you know, until we get one of those little. You did just great, man. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, if anyone's ever seen uh, Police Academy, you know, the sound effects guy, I don't know, it's a dream, always a dream. So I might be dating myself a little bit, but the goal right now is pretty straightforward. We give Lewis and Dante, they'll start with Lewis. You're going to pick three numbers, random numbers. Don't ask ChatGPT. You don't need help with this one. We're going to give you three random words that associate with those random numbers. And then you have to give advice with those three words. And the number spread is one to 50. Go. Ah, all right. I'll choose one, 10, and 49. Okay. 110 and 49. One is zero to one. That's right. That's the word. 10 is vision. And 49 is tech debt. So again, tech debt, vision, and zero dash one. Now, give us some advice. Don't ask ChatGPT. I see you're trying. But it's got to be related to ChatGPT. First one to do it, but it's got to be related to ChatGPT with zero to one. What were the words again, Red? The buzzwords? Zero to one. Vision and take it home with the final word, number 49, tech debt. And I have to go first? or does It's a race. <laughs> it's a race. I have to go first. Whoever can get in first, whoever can pull together a coherent phrase, who's got it? I think I have something. So when you're building a zero to one product and you're crafting the vision for it, and you want to build out that zero to one product, make sure that you're not accumulating tech debt that later on you'll have to deal with. Oh boy. 
Boy, I think my brain just blew up. What do you think, Jeff? Does that meet the requirements? I think Lewis wants to top it. I think now it's Uh-oh. Lewis or Samaya if they could uh, top it, and then we'll go to an audience vote. <laughs> That's too good, Dante. <laughs> I and I have to be faithful to my love for ChatGPT. I would ask ChatGPT how to use those three things <laughs> and probably not credit it. So, well played. Congratulations, Dante. I'm impressed. <laughs> Bravo. Although, uh, Jeff, this does speak truths, though, the chat GPT in the sense that it's not love. It's just more efficient in this instance. Here's a question, though. So, you know, with a calculator, you can no longer, I mean, I can't sometimes, I can't do simple addition or multiplication sometimes. Are any of you worried about chat GPT taking away a part of our brain, or at least if not ours, the next generation, that if we use it too much, then we can't do it independently? And why are you worried about it? Or if you're not worried about it, why not? Who's got, who weigh in on that? Oh, I do have thoughts about this one. I think about it in the same way that we, you know, the definition of intelligence. If you look at, for example, some of the most classic writers, even Adam Smith, you know, when they talk about definition of intelligence, it's people who had so much information in their brains and they can spew it at a moment's notice. And then we get to Google. The definition of intelligence now has nothing to do with the memorization tomes and a lot of random information or related information. And so uh, to me, it's, it's just the perspective and the moment in time. What matters the most? Yes, we might not use our brain any longer to search for information. That's fine. But we're using it for other things. It's opening up our cognitive space for other possibilities, things we couldn't do before. And so that's the stuff that excites me. I don't know what it exactly looks like. It's just like, you know, how AI figured out all these different chess plays that no chess master has figured out before. That's That's what I'm looking forward to all of us experiencing together. My brain just broke, Samea. Like, seriously, 4D chess level brain breakage. So I'm going to just recoup the pieces that have fallen out of my ears and send this back to you, Jeff, because that was epic, epic advice. This is... Well, I want to hear from Dante and Lewis. What about you? Do you think the ChatGPT is going to take away a part of our brain that we actually need? Because going back to the Google example, yes, searching in Google is better than finding it yourself. But all of a sudden, when Google is starting to mess with the, the rankings and there's there's like five different versions of the truth out there. And then it's now, it can now trick you into remembering things that maybe weren't true or weren't there. So I'm actually worried when you bring the Google example, because I think we all search for information and trust something that may or may not be trustworthy in the long run. So Dante and Lewis, what do you think? Are you worried about ChatGPT taking a part of our skill and brain away? Also, don't worry. It's not just Google. You can search Bing too. You know, just <laughs> true. Sorry. Especially there. they're in our backyard here. I'll bridge both Jeff and Sumea's points, which is, it wouldn't be fair to say that I'm not worried. Absolutely. I'm afraid a lot of people will look at ChatGPT and say, Lewis, ChatGPT can read the internet. It can read Wikipedia. It can read the Twitterverse better than I can. So I should just stop reading. And I'm like, ooh, that's a pretty strong statement for you to say. I mean, it's true. It can read it pretty darn well. It can read it fast. It's got a better memory than my puny little memory. But man, that's a really strong statement. Or it could say like, hey, like it's not just about reading, it's about writing. ChatGPT could write better than I can, so I shouldn't write anymore. Or ChatGPT can even think better than I can. You know, debatable whether or not it's actually thinking, but somebody could have that interpretation. And so it's a threat. I'm, I'm really worried that people are gonna have that conclusion 
and to bridge that with Sumeya's point is, is this, the people who continue to refine their writing skills, their reading skills, their thinking skills, are going to be more adept at using ChatGPT than those who do not. And so I hope nobody takes that conclusion. I hope my daughter, who hasn't started grade school, takes away like, like, Dad, I don't need to write or read or think anymore because AI is going to do that for me. I'm like, no, that's the wrong conclusion. And then just to really recap it, you know, that's my conclusion from ChatGPT, which is, you know, ironically, you need to read more. What do you need to read? To Samea's point, you need to read the information that ChatGPT doesn't have access to. And that means books, right? And why do you need to read more books? Because ChatGPT can't call books because the publishers won't let them. And so you need to read more books. You might need to read more fiction because you know, there's a lot of nonfiction stuff on the internet, but there's not a ton of fiction stuff on the internet. You need to absolutely write. I would like to think, I hope that, you know, I've authored quite a few books and, and I think part of the reason, at least when I compare to other people who are using ChatGPT, that I sometimes get better results because, you know, I know how to write and edit and re-edit for the third time, the 30th time, the 300th time. And then finally, you know, around the thinking piece, I won't use myself as an example, but one of the people that I follow on Twitter. Uh, he's a University of Pennsylvania professor named Ethan Mollick. I'm really impressed by some of the things that he does. He has ChatGPT do. And I think part of the reason he's getting a lot of success is his knowledge is very vast, very unique, but also he's such a deep critical thinker that where your typical ChatGPT user, maybe somebody in high school, <laughs> might just ask one question, like, write me a paper about Shakespeare. Ethan Mollick would take it, you know, 20 times deeper. And that's because, you know, his thinking is so, so evolved relative to the average high school student. And I'll add one last part. I think on the positive side, I think it will make those who utilize it better writers, better readers in the sense because prompts prompt you, for lack of a better term, to understand what you're trying to create as an input into ChatGPT. And then I will say, but on the negative side, as the advent of any technology, especially technology has to do with masses amount of information, I use social media as, as an example, connects the world, spreads information across the world. And so it gives access to everyone and everyone has a voice. And again, because everyone has a voice, some of the information that gets put out there is either opinionated, that's masked as truth, and gets taken as truth and gets utilized accordingly. And because information is pumping into chat GPT, there is, of course, you know, concerns about that, those negative effects of information sharing it across uh, the world. I'm just going to very quickly address something, Jeff, you've said. I think when it comes to the skills you're worried about, I wouldn't worry about it so much because you still need to have those to prompt the AI correctly. The, you know, the kind, the quality of the prompt determines the quality of the response. The other thing between all of us here, friends, honestly, a lot of the responses from ChatGPT suck. They're so fluffy. Like I ask it to write me an email to someone and it gives me these three paragraphs. I need to rewrite half of it. Yes, it's a great starting place, but I cannot send that email 
to my, you know, to other executives or to anyone on my team and still feel good about the quality of the work. And so there is a long way to go for these tools to get really good. And people who take pride in their work and actually want to deliver excellent work and things that are, you know, of high quality will find that what gets generated is not good enough and it raises the bar for them continuously. All right. Thank you, everybody. And that actually lends perfectly to a comment from Raul, who is patiently raising his hand, but texted it to me instead. He thinks uh, product managers should add chat GPT expert to their resumes and that people need to hire PMs who know how to use the tool like people know how to use Jira. So it is seemingly a skill. I think there's agreement among our panelists that it's a skill that you should figure out. And then how much of your brain that uh, you hold on to from what you were able to do before you figured it out, that's where maybe some of the tips from our panelists came in. And, but it is does seem unilaterally among this group that it is a skill that can be used for product management and that you should take advantage of it. So now I understand we are out of time and it's okay if you have to drop, but I do want to give anybody, any of our panelists who want us, give concluding thoughts a space to do so. So any concluding thoughts? And if you have to drop, just silently close the door behind you and we'll continue on. And I'm thankful for this conversation. But anything you want to leave the audience with? And we'll start with Dante, I guess. Yeah, I think with any tool, and some of you might have seen that ChatGPT4 is released. So for any tool that has to do with being productive, the more you use it, the more you understand it, the better it will be. So if you have not used ChatGPT in general, I would say just dive in. There's plenty of prompts online that you can Google to find, or you can ask ChatGPT for prompts and where to find them. Just dig in and get familiar enough with it that it is not foreign to you. And by and large, something completely unrelated, but if for those folks that have been on the call or are listening to this on the podcast and are interested in the IPMA program, please don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions. Thank you, Dante. I appreciate all that you do for the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington and all that you do with the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. Thanks for being here. Louis, do you have time? Concluding thoughts? Um, yeah, just one last closing thought. You guys don't need more encouragement from me to use ChatGPT. Uh, your colleagues, Dante's boss, Parul, I'll get you guys there. And so um, I'm going to give you a little bit of anti-chat GPT advice. And so even with chat GPT, please do more reading, do more writing, do more thinking. That's my takeaway is even with the beauty of chat GPT, we all need to read more books, especially books that chat GPT hasn't read because there's some amazing books out there and you're going to be able to get some better results because chat GPT is your buddy. And that's where you can contribute. And it's like, hey, ChatGPT, you did not know this, but I have a base of knowledge that you don't have. And so let's collaborate. And that's how it works. So, and so please do that. Read more books. All right. I love the friendship that's brewing here between Lewis and ChatGPT. Looking forward to seeing that relationship grow. Sumeya, what are your concluding thoughts? Honestly, I can't top the read some books because I believe that in my heart of hearts. <laughs> I will say one word, go play, just play. Forget about all the other stuff around it being useful. Just play. All right. Thank you, Dante. Thank you, Samea and Lewis. Red, thanks for doing a great job hosting the Buzzword Blitz and the audience questions. All of you out there listening today, again, please uh, 
Download and subscribe to the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, where Red, Sumeya, and I bring different product leaders to discuss uh, other specific topics related to how to succeed in product management. Uh, we do that because, as Red said, we want to make knowledge more accessible. We want to build a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And part of that is giving everybody access to knowledge, giving them access to a community of people, a community of support and opportunities to shine. So thank you all for being here. We'll be back next week with another hot topic discussing innovation and do product managers actually innovate and what is innovation? So join us next week here on LinkedIn. And thank you again. Everybody have a great week.